Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. If I said the word selfie, if I said the word selfie, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking um, about. This past week, whether you knew it or not, June 21st was National Selfie Day. All right, our world loves some selfies. All right, now you may know what selfies are, but you may not know some things about some selfies. So, I think I'm going to educate you for a few moments. Okay, do you know that in 2002, the word selfie was first introduced in pop culture in digital or paper form? But it really didn't take hold. It really didn't come to the surface until 2010. Can you guess what happened in 2010? The iPhone 4 got a front-facing camera, and it changed everything. But still, it took a little to become part of our culture. And in year 2012, Time magazine said that a selfie was one of the top 10 buzzwords in our country, which is the same year that the selfie stick was invented. And do you know how much that industry is valued at right now? $174 million for selfie sticks. But selfie sticks can't be used everywhere. One point, someone used a selfie stick at Disney World on a ride. It got stuck and closed the ride down for more than an hour, and so Disney has made a rule, no selfie sticks on a ride. In Spain, For the bull runs, if you've seen these before, selfie sticks are banned because people have been distracted and even have been killed. So they put a $3,000 fine if you use a selfie stick. Where do you think the number one place in the world is to take a selfie? Eiffel Tower. Eiffel Tower, number one place in the world. Did you know in 2015, more people died from taking selfies than shark attacks? 93 million selfies are taken every day all over the world. All over the world. I want us to start today by being honest about something. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want us to be honest about something. We can sometimes be addicted to ourselves. We can grow in it being addicted to ourselves. And some of you may be like, I've never taken a selfie. Or I barely ever take a selfie. I'm not addicted to myself. That's not me. Well, what about the language that you use in your conversations? How many times in your conversations do you use I, me, or my? When I was young, my dad wanted to make a point to me and my sister during a vacation. On one of the trips, he said, Okay, Scott. I don't know why he pointed at me more than my sister, but he said, okay, Scott, every time you use the word I, me, or my, you have to put a dollar in the jar. 35 years later, this point has been so embedded in my mind because it was that day that I learned what it felt like to be broke. (laughs) And it was that day that I stopped or, or I gave up thinking about myself first. 
to lie. See, this is a human condition that we have. This is a human condition that we have in life. But as a follower of Jesus, what is our response to how we handle the potential addiction to me? See, we're in week three. We're moving on in our series today. We've been, we've been talking so far this summer. We've got eight weeks that we're going to talk about this letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church that he absolutely loved. A church that he planted in Eastern Europe, the first church there in a city called Philippi. And like many churches, this church wasn't big. Most guesses are between 50 and 100 people. But these people were learning to follow Jesus. These people stood out in a culture, stood out in a culture of, of, of people in Philippi who were strongly loyal to the Roman Empire. And so Paul is pushing them as he writes this letter from prison to live as a follower of Jesus. And so far we've walked through Philippians 1, 1 through 26, and today we're going to go to chapter 1, but verse 27, verse uh, 11 in the second chapter. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a heads up. This won't be anybody's favorite message, all right? I'm going to warn you that there's some things inside. We've already talked about the self-addiction. There's going to be some challenge and some push. But two, if you're used to my speaking, you know that I like to read the whole text, then I circle back and we break it up. We're going to do a little bit different today. That I'm going to stop along the journey, and so maybe for you, you want to get your Bibles out, you want to get your phones out, there's Bibles in the seats that you can have that you may want to keep it open for the whole thing so you can see where we're going. But we're going to start in verse 27, and once again, go to chapter 2, verse 11. You ready? Here's the next part in Paul's words to us. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now stop. We're going to stop one uh, verse in. It was an early morning in 2015. Amber and I had gotten up, and we were headed out to the immigration building in Atlanta, Georgia, because some of you are new, and there's something you don't know about me, is that I grew up in Canada. I am a Canadian citizen, all right? And, and, uh, and, but it was time, in 2015, it was time for me to take the jump after living in almost 20 years in this country, that it was time for me to become a citizen. And so, once again, we woke up that morning, and we went to the final phase of this journey of me becoming a citizen. It was the interview, all right? I had the interview, and in this interview, there was a potential of 100 questions they could ask me of American government, American history, and the like. And, 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 and so I stepped into this room, and this lady didn't really care to have small talk, which threw me off because we got to have small talk, right? She didn't want small talk. She just got my ID, found out who I was, and she goes, question one, nailed it. Question two, dominated right? Question three, four, five, six, I'm unstoppable, I'm on fire, right? Like, I'm just like, let's go. And she goes, okay, you passed, we're done. And I said, I passed and we're done, I thought there's gonna be 10 questions. She said, well, there are 10 questions, but you only need to get six out of 10 right, so we're done. And I'm like, listen, lady, I studied for a while, let's go all 10, like, I'm ready to go. And she looks at me, and she does not smile, she does not think I'm funny, and she said, sir, 
We're done. And so I was, in, I was in no place to argue with the person that was going to be approving my citizenship, right? So I pack my stuff up and I go out. And it was in this moment where I was declaring that I wanted to be a citizen of this country and that I would, um, uh, that I would live in the conduct that this country expected me to. It was in this moment when I said to the person that the, 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 these, these rules, these laws, these expectations were, were, were I was agreeing to. And later, I would stand in a room with a bunch of people from all different countries, and we'd sing the national anthem, and I'd wave my little flag, American flag, on a stick, all right? And I walked out, and my citizenship in this country had been solidified. Why am I telling you this? Paul is speaking a specific language. Paul is speaking to these people who would understand what he's talking about in their context. When he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, the word conduct there is this. It's P-O-L-I-T-E-U-O-M-A-I. And this word is to be a citizen to behave as a citizen in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now remember, if you, and I'll tell you if you weren't here the first week, I talked about this city was filled with people who would have been ex-military and they'd been sent to Philippi and they had all the rights of being a Roman citizen. So this place was a very patriotic place. So Paul uses their language. Paul uses their mindset. Paul uses their context that they would understand. You need to live in a manner that is loyal, that is consistent with the life of somebody who's living in a manner of the gospel of Christ. You must realign your life to the rules, laws, and way of living. Not the Roman way of living, but the kingdom of God way of living, the gospel of Christ way of living. And he needs them to see this contrast between them and how the life around them is happening because they were now loyal to something bigger than everybody else was that they'd be living with. Now, he continues. That's just one verse. He continues, and it's almost like he makes a warning. It's almost like he makes a warning to them. He goes, this is not necessarily going to be easy to live up to the citizenship of someone who is living in the gospel of Christ. It's going to cost you something. He continues. He says, then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, because where is he again? He's in prison. He doesn't know when he's getting out, or if he's getting out, like we don't know. I will know that you stand firm in the Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God." For it is, has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Stop again. Stop again. Do you see what he is saying in this moment? If you're going to live in a manner 
that is worthy of the gospel, you will not only believe in Jesus, do you see this? What else? You will suffer like Jesus. Going against the stream in life, going against the cultural norms in life, Deciding the things you're going to say yes to and no to in life as you see everybody else live, how other people spend their money, how people spend their time, people with different agendas. And for Christians, there's always going to be a different lifestyle than you see around you. This is going to cause unique struggles. And so Paul's reminding them, Don't be surprised when you live for Jesus. The world around you is not going to understand your beliefs, isn't going to understand your way of life, isn't going to understand why you do certain things. But our job is not to fit into the world. Just like I said week one, Paul starts out the letter and he says to you, set apart people. Remember, he starts the letter by telling them, you are set apart from the world that's around you. You don't fit in. And this church would have felt that tension. This church in Philippi would have felt that tension, the separation and the friction as they go about living their life. And the more we live for Jesus, the more we live the life that that is specifically called for us as followers of him, There's going to be more and more decisions where we just don't fit in. And we need to begin to feel comfortable with that. The tension will never go away. The friction will never go away. But our comfortability of saying, I'm going to live by these standards, even if it causes me some suffering, this is the way I'm going to live. But Paul's not done. Because Paul not only says, hey, this is what it's going to look like. He says, let me show you. Let me show you a different way that life is versus what you see around you. And so let's go to chapter 2. He says, therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, he's going, okay, because I said this, with this as my setup, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his tenderness and compassion, then make my joy, make me happy, make me proud of you, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death 
on the cross. Okay, stop again. Because we just got into the meat of this part of the text. Paul isn't just saying, hey, you need to live the right way. Paul isn't saying, hey, it's just going to be difficult. He says, hey, listen, one way you're going to look different, one way you're going to stick out, one way of living that we have to have, if you're going to be a person that lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, well, let me tell you, let me show you what it looks like. And that's the meat of this today. What a gospel-centered people will look like. And I think there's two major things. The first is that we will live in unity, is what Paul says. What would a gospel-centered people look like? We will live in unity. You have to remember that Paul cares as much about the church as he cares about them as individual people, okay? Through this whole letter I come back to, he's speaking to us as people, but he's also speaking to us as a church. And in the success of being the church, in the success of being in the, in, the, in the fellowship of being a follower of Jesus, he's telling them, you need to be united in Christ Jesus. This is what's going to bring you together. Now, this sounds obvious on paper. It sounds easy on paper for us to be united under Jesus Christ. But if you've been in the church for long, any period of time, you'll know it is not easy and it is not natural for everybody to be united. And I get it. I get it on one hand. We're all humans, right? We're all wired certain ways. We all have our own passions. We all have our own filters. We all have our own expertise. We all have these instincts and just desires inside of us. We all have our own thoughts on how things should be done. But this is exactly how the world works, is a bunch of individuals having their own thoughts, their own agendas, their own thoughts. And the church is supposed to be different, Paul says. And our difference in the world is, is we find a common ground, we find a unity simply in Jesus being front and center and being the foundation of everything that moves the needle in our lives. And Paul says, if you can get to that place, if you can get to that place under Jesus, you'll be like-minded You'll be in the same love. You'll have the one spirit that brings you together. And he wants that for us. But what does that look like for you as an individual? Let's act like Paul is speaking to them as individuals and us as individuals. You are created exactly how you're supposed to be created. You know what I've said for the last basically 10 years. You were created on purpose for a purpose. 
God has wired you. God has knit you together. God knows you. That we can never look down on ourselves because you are who God created you to be. And I always bring to you, don't talk bad about yourself. Don't, don't look at the things you think are deficiencies. Don't look at the things you think you're not good enough. That is how God created you. And to, to not love how God created you is, I think, a, a smack in God's face. Because you were created for something that someone else can't do. And to be an individual in this says, I'm going to be exactly who God created me to be. But with Jesus as the thread that moves the needle in my life. That when you live out there, how you can have a bond with other Christians is that you are you, but Jesus is the one that sets the bar, the standard, the way of living. So you go, but in your family, Jesus is what's front and center. You go work, but Jesus is front and center. In your relationships, go do your thing, but front and center. In your hobbies, in your sports, all the things, when you play pickleball on Tuesday, Jesus is front and center. This is what makes us of one mind, same love, and in one spirit, is that we are who God created us to be, but we all have the common ground of we have Jesus that grounds us and moves the needle how we operate in our uniqueness. But how do we do this as a church? How do we do this as a church? The church is a funny place. Every week, and I can have conversations, the joys of Pastor Scott. In one minute, I have a conversation that someone wants the music to be more, to be quieter. And I leave that conversation, I get to talk to someone who says, Scott, can we turn up the music? Amen. People, some people want Pastor Scott to wear a tie and a suit, and other people are like, Scott, let's uh, keep it less formal, right? Okay. Certain ways children's ministry should be done, and youth ministry should be done, and, and old songs, and new songs. We all have opinions. And I want to tell you, that is a, I'm 100% comfortable with everybody having their opinions. I will not reject this. But how we come in unity as a church is we decide what we are about first. You know, if you've been part of One Hope, that I felt, you know, what was it, four years now or whatever ago, that I was supposed to change the name, the identity of what people see us as a church. And that was a big move by us. And, and, and applause to you guys that you embrace what I felt God was asking me to lead to. And the whole idea was that we want to put Jesus front and center, right from the road. That you know the conversations we have are that we want to be a place where we share the hope of Jesus so that people can understand he is their only hope for anything they go through life. And that we become more like him every day. Those are the two things. We can have a bunch of opinions, but what about as a church? How we accomplish, in those opinions, what the number one thing we want to accomplish is, is we've got to get the word out that Jesus is the only hope. And everything we do here comes back to that. And then just like our, our Seafield Act books that we've made, if you haven't gotten one, they're in the Welcome Center. Just like our Seafield Act books that we're reading scripture and we're pushing ourselves so that we can become more like him every day because this is where freedom is found. This is where hope is ultimately found in him as he transforms our life. This is what makes us one mind. This is what makes us the same love. This is what makes us um, um, together in how we move forward in the Spirit. 
Paul wants the church to be this way. Live in unity. The second thing he says is, I want you to live in humility. And what does humility look like? As we go back to verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul is tackling something, is going face for right into something that is holding this culture back. And he's saying if we want to be who to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, humility has to be part of your life. And the working definition for me, humility, has always been C.S. Lewis's definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, right? And we see that play out in this. He's saying Jesus, who is equal to God, but didn't use that to his own advantage. That, that you look at the life of Jesus, he came to serve and not to be served. That he's looking at the interests of others. If we're going to live in the gospel, humility has to mark us. And to us, we're like, yeah, I get that. But in this culture, he is throwing something heavy at them because humility was at the lowest of the pecking order in their culture. The highest level was a culture of honor. To be honored was the highest level. To even to the point that wealthy people would hire poor people to come into their circles. They would compensate them to walk into their circles and heap praise on them in front of other people. To honor them in front of people. To, to raise their level of stature in front of all, to exalt them in front of other people. Rich people would do this. And I'm looking and going, well, that's not that hard to understand because that's what we do now. First, cult first century cultures come to us. People pay other people to raise their brand in our circles, which is the digital world. It's, I've got a brand, I pay people to hype it up. I do whatever I can to get likes and shares, to raise my platform, to raise my brand, to raise how people look at me, to exalt me as a person. And Paul looks at these people and goes, it's not about getting honor, it's about humility. It's not about people below lifting you up, it's you having humility and putting people above you. And you've been told that before. But imagine sitting in their seats going, Jesus is different. This is completely different. To look at other people's interests more than my own? To raise them up more than me? But Paul goes, if you want to live in the gospel of Christ, in that kingdom, in that culture, you want to be a citizen that obeys the rules, the laws, the way of living of that, Humility marks your life. 
And that's how we're going to stand out in a culture. That's how we're going to stand out because they'll see a people that says, I care more about you than I care about myself. I'm not, I'm not telling you, I'm not hiring you to praise me and lift me up. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to serve you. And I want to tell you something, and I want to talk to the older generation of One Hope. You have set an incredible example for this church of how we take care of each other. I pray that as generations change, that this is one of the things that carries on, that we take care of each other. When there is suffering in the home, I see people jump in and gather around. I see people when they're about to have babies, these showers are big, they're huge, and they're just heaping presents, and they're blessing them. I see people when they're about to get married, the celebrations that go on. I see and I know stories that people don't know when people are struggling that I can give a quick call or I don't even have to know about myself, but people jump in and say, I'm there for you. This is a culture that's been set at one hope, and I pray that we continue this because this is what the church is supposed to look like. Humility. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And you know what the result of that culture is? Paul tells us. He says, therefore, because what I just told you, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The result of living in humility where you think of other people first is God is able to work in your life and to do what only he can do and you get to be exalted under him versus this earth. And Paul's not the only one that's talking about it. James talks about it. The letter we went through last summer, James 4, 6, he says, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says, and he quotes the Old Testament, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And it continues in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Paul knows the church, Jesus' followers, can change the world, but we cannot change the world by being like the world in a culture that's trying to elevate themselves to success. Paul goes, that's not how we roll. That's not our game. If you want to be exalted on this earth, then fine. Keep trying to raise your brand. You want to be exalted on this earth? Fine. Keep accumulating success in how this culture uh, defines success. You want to have the praise on this earth and be honored on this earth? Fine. Go after all those things. You get yours when you're on the earth. But if you want to be exalted by God, you live in humility. You put other people first. You forget yourself and you think of other people. This will be a sign to the world that we will be saved by God. This will be a definition to the world that we are, we, that as Christ is our foundation, he gives us different motives and a different way of living. And he says to the church in Philippi, you want to live 
Please, whatever happens in your life, no matter how hard it is, whatever you do, live as a citizen of the gospel of Christ. Live by those way of living. Buy into those rules and, and, and buy into that way that Christ has set a model for us. And in this, God, God will be able to work in your life just like he did Jesus. That Jesus was always the son of God. Jesus always deserved to be exalted on this earth. But because he approached it from a place of humility... God the Father was able to put him in the seat he deserved at a place this world never was going to. We just have to decide where do we want our praise to come from. We have to decide where we want to succeed. Do we want to succeed under God in his kingdom or do we want to succeed here in this kingdom? The road to success is humility. We just have to make that choice. You can keep taking selfies. I don't really care. I don't want want you to feel like I was. But really think. What is your life about? Who gets to set the course of who you are, the character you are as a person? The results of your life will come directly because of how we choose to live. So, Heavenly Father, this thank you for thank you for Paul's words to us. It's a little challenging, it's a little correcting, it's a little putting us in our place. But God, you want so much for us, and you want so much for the church. And the world goes by a code that says, praise me. And you go by the code that says, put other people first. And this is sometimes hard because we want to live a different way. But God, may you shape us, may you form us, may you reorder our life. So that the world gets to see who Jesus really is. And I believe as we live in humility, they get to see Jesus. And you will be magnified, God. You will be glorified. Because in a world of arrogance, when humility enters the scene, it looks different. It feels different. It does move the needle. And we want to declare where our hope is found in Jesus. We want to declare that we're trying to become more like Jesus every day. So do a work in our life. May we take this challenge and say, I will live in a manner worthy of what you gave me, the gospel of Jesus. So God, today, just help us to be that church. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.